0: If you have a copy of scripture with you this morning, I want you to open up to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and then put a thumb over in 1 Kings chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Kings chapter 5. Some of you are are thinking, man... We, how, how often do we, do we camp out exclusively in the Old Testament? Well, I can just tell you, it's going to be good because it's in the Old Testament, amen? And, and God still uh, uses the words of the Old Testament to, to show us his nature and to reveal his plan for our lives. And we at Shannon Oaks Church, we value the, the continuous teaching, preaching, and study of the word of God because it reveals God in our lives and His plan for our lives. And if you don't own a copy of the Word of God, you don't own a copy of Scripture, we would love to gift you with a copy. Uh, A great New Living Translation uh, study Bible is yours today. Uh, Before you leave at Connect Central, we'd encourage you to pick one of those up on your way out. We're continuing in our series this morning called Dwell, where we are uh, really finding ourselves reawakened to the, the, the ultimate desire of the heart of God and the creative way that he has perfectly crafted the hearts of his people so that we can experience the beauty and the power that comes from the dwelling place of God. And all throughout Scripture, every week, we have pointed to the reality that, that there is a, a relentlessly relational heart of God that is out there pursuing the hearts of His people, and He just wants to dwell with them. And that may be a new paradigm for some of you this morning who, who've never known God as that, that Father who wants to just be present with His children. Last week we talked about the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25, and and we acknowledged that it was God's portable presence along the way. Remember, we're not there yet; we're not here nor there. But even along the way, God's presence is perfect and in pursuit of us. And and as we leave that that story of the tabernacle behind in the Old Testament, I, I want you to know. The story of the Israelites and their, their, their pursuit of all that God has promised them continues. Right? The Israelites in, were stuck in the wilderness uh, last week when we, when we visited them in Exodus chapter 25, and God spoke to Moses and said, uh, have the people build me a dwelling place, a place that I can tabernacle among them. And, and, and Moses was faithful uh, to communicate that vision that he had re- received from God to the leaders, and, and they did that, and they were obedient. And, and it was a powerful experience for the people of Israel as they en- encountered the precious and powerful. Dwelling place of Lord God Almighty in their midst. And though it had been promised to Israel many, many years ago, they were still very much in pursuit of the promised land, the land of Canaan, that they had they had been promised but not yet possessed. And, and, and though they, they pursued that journey uh, and took those steps accordingly as the Lord led them, they, they were able to take possession of the promised land through many, many battles. They were not battles to to take uh, to become victorious in. The Lord had already promised and paved the way. They were simply battles to take possession of the promised land that God had, had given to them. And as time went on in that promised land of Canaan, the people and the nation of Israel became very complacent. They became very rebellious. And and they became so corrupt at times and in seasons in their hearts that they began to think that, well, you know what? We've got a better plan than what God has in store. And they began to long and dream for this this rulership and this uh, government structure that, that that would give them the power and the success and the provisions that they need. They decided that they needed a king to rule over them. And so they took those steps, and, and God uh, met them in that place, and He highlighted the person who would become king. And before we know it, we're going to join the, the story along the way in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. And King David is on the throne, ruling the land of Israel. And I want to read together the first seven verses of 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says this. When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But the same night, the Lord said to Nathan... Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders The shepherds of my people, Israel, I have never asked them, Why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Here's what David is saying in this passage here. David is saying, I want to do something great for God. I want to do something that is just absolutely splendorous for the king and the father of Israel. I want to do something because of how good he has been to me. I want to do something that is that much greater for him. And look what God says in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I really want to change Samuel's name to Chamuel this morning, but it's, it's not going to happen. In the name of Jesus, it's not going to happen. God says to David, I don't need a house. I'm not asking you to have pity on me and build me a house I've never needed. In fact, for those of you who who are looking for that justification from the Lord this morning, this might be the sign that you've been looking for to know that God himself loves camping, right? God says, I love my tent. I love it. There's nothing I want or need more, but David, like us, believed, well, if it was a great thing in the past and it was such a powerful experience for the people, then there's got to be a better way that we can amplify that experience even now and do something great for God. David elevated his previous experiences of himself and other people over the present plan of God. Have you done that in your life? Have you looked at something that God has done in the rearview mirror and said, That was so good. I just want to get back to what that was. And you take steps to begin putting things in place to get back to where you were. But God says, I've got something new. I want to do something fresh in this season. And a few verses down in 2 Samuel chapter 7 in verses 12 and 13, we see the Lord speaking. He says, For when you die, David, and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants for your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple, for my name, and I will secure his royal throne for a forever. Listen, God says to David in this passage, he says, David, listen, you're not going to be the one. I, I love your dream and I love your vision, but you're not going to be the one to do something great for me. But notice what God doesn't say in this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God doesn't say, I want your offspring to build me a house He doesn't say, I need him to build me a house. God simply acknowledges that this is what he's going to do. God never instructs the building and the construction of the temple like he did for the tabernacle. and We looked at last week in Exodus chapter 25. Flip over to 1 Kings chapter 5 and and, and time has passed and, and years have gone by. And David's offspring is now ruling and reigning over the people of Israel. His son Solomon is now the king of Israel. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 1-5 through says this. King Hiram of Tyre had always been a loyal friend of David. When Hiram learned that David's son Solomon was the new king of Israel, he sent ambassadors to congratulate him. Then Solomon sent his, this message back to Hiram. You know that my father David was not able to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord his God because of the many, way, many wars waged against him by the surrounding nations. He could not, build the, uh, could not build until the Lord gave him victory over all his enemies. But now the Lord, my God, has given me peace on every side. I have no enemies and all is well. So... I am planning to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, just as he had instructed my father David. For the Lord told him, Your son, whom I will place on your throne, will build the temple to honor my name. You see what happened there? Solomon was living out his father's dream to do something great for the Lord. To do something amazingly splendorous to bring honor and glory to God. But there is a great contrast that is established here in the passage we looked at at last week in Exodus chapter 25, when God calls the Israelites to build a tabernacle. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Kings chapter 5, that we're looking at this morning, where we don't see the Lord giving birth to that vision. Instead, man is giving birth to that vision, and God is coming alongside because of his heart to dwell with his people. Let's take a look. Last week in Exodus 25, God initiated the tabernacle. This morning, man initiated the temple. With a tabernacle, God said, do this. And the people did. With the temple, man said, do this. And the people did. With the tabernacle, man said, because God said so. With the temple, man said, this is what man has said. You see the difference there? You see the dichotomy that is being portrayed here in the building and the construction of the dwelling place of the tabernacle and the building and the construction of the dwelling place of the temple? The, the great dichotomy of those beginnings is really the, the, the dichotomy of our lives. It's really the dichotomy that you and I face in our lives that says that, that these things are not even on the same page. On the surface, they look great and they look splendorous and they look like something that must be aligned with the perfect plan of God. But when you get below the surface, you begin to see something a little bit different, that things don't line up and they don't add up to what God has instructed of his people. Here's what I believe is playing out in this story that is true in our lives. You will either do things for God or you will do things from God. And there is a big difference. You will either do things in your life for God because you want to to honor him and and do great things because of his goodness in your life, or you will do things from God as you connect to him and the relentlessly relational heart of a king and a father who just wants to be with his people. Let me unpack this a little bit because I know this this is a little bit of a shift in this conversation this morning. Here we are talking about the, the temple and the tabernacle, and, and now we're talking about the reality of, of, of how we do things in our connection to God. When we do things for God, I believe we've misunderstood who God is and who we are. We believe that when we do things for God, that, that therefore God, God needs me to do this. That God is stuck Unless I step in and and help him out. That God has has a desire in his heart that just can't come to be reality. He can't do this without me or without us in this journey. And we believe that if we do this, whatever that is, that we can attain, we can earn, we can maintain favor and appease our God and Father when we believe that we do things for God, right? We're just trying to stir things up in such a way that they are, are pleasing to you, God. May this offering be, be pleasing and acceptable to you. But when we do things for God, we have misunderstood who God is and who we are through Jesus Christ. And I hear it mentioned all the time. I hear it said in conversation. Well, I just want to live my life for God. I want to spend my time and my energy doing things to honor His name and to, to, to somehow, some way pay him back for all that He has done for me. And so we do a lot of good things in our lives for God. Some of you are here this morning because you have believed and resolved in your heart that you have come to church to worship for. God. We serve in a ministry for God. We tithe and we give offerings for God. And we do kind things to others for God. Because we will either do things for God or we will do things from God. And I'm not here to shame anyone this morning if this is your mentality and this is the way that you see the world around you and the people that that live life with you, if this is the way you see life, I want to tell you that that it's possible you may have become a slave to working for God. And Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 8, he said, I'm going to tell you the truth and the truth will set you free. And if that's you here this morning, you need to know that God didn't create us because he needed us. God created us because we need him. And there is a tremendous difference when we live our lives doing things for God and we do things from God. Because when we do things from God, we rightly understand who God is and who we are now through Jesus we begin to submit our lives to what Psalms 24 says, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. There is nothing he needs or he lacks, even my help and my opportunity to join him in this mission. We live out 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that says, We walk by faith, not by sight. When we do things from God, we are living the life that is by faith. We embody Romans chapter 8 for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. When when the Spirit of God is is the the person who guides and directs and, and moves the people of God in the journey of life, we belong to Him because we operate from Him. You probably have plans this afternoon to watch the big game, right? To get together with some people that are going to enjoy some good food. You're going you're gonna to cheer on what could have been for the Dallas Cowboys, right? It's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll, we'll watch it fade into the background this evening and, and, and get ready for the next big thing on the horizon. But, but this morning, I, I thought in this conversation of, of doing things for God and doing things from God, I thought a football story might be Appropriate. Right? It might be an opportunity for us to connect and and to tune our hearts to to what God wants to say when our minds are already headed that direction. And so this morning, I want to tell you a story about a young man, a young man who had lived his life in such a way that that he knew that he had been gifted athletically. He knew that he had been gifted intellectually. And he lived his life um, working towards the opportunity to step onto the greatest. Football field that he could ever experience in his life. And he stepped out of high school in rural East Texas and he stepped into the playing field of, I gotta be really careful here, because if I say a name of a school here in Texas, I'm gonna divide this congregation, and I can't do that because we value unity, right? And so I can't bring that upon us, so I'm just gonna say that uh, he, he stepped onto the, 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 the football field of his dreams, how about that? And he stepped onto the football field, and, and, and the, right out of the bat, he's, he's gaug- engaging practice with the coach and all of his teammates, and, and they're gearing up for the season that's coming, and he steps out on the field for the very first game as the anticipation had just been swelling to the point that he could not contain himself any longer. He steps onto the game, the game field on game day for the very first time in his college career. And, he, and the coach is, is saying, this, this young man was the quarterback for his team. He says, he says buddy, I, I just need you to, to do this play right here. This is, the, this is how we're going to start this season and your collegiate career. It's going to be amazing. And so the young man heard his coach's voice and he he goes out to the field and, and he gets his team around him in the huddle. He says, in his in his mind, he says, you know, that sounds really good, but I think I've got something better. I I, I want to show coach really who I am. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna redirect things just a little bit and it's gonna be amazing. All right, so he calls a play, his team had no idea what coach had called. And so they execute the play and his coach goes livid. Like, he's, he's losing his mind, right? This guy had the greatest talent in the world, and he has come onto this team, and he is doing everything the coach had told him not to do, right? Because he was trying to impress the coach. He was trying to do things for the coach. And, and, and a few plays went on, and the first quarter ends, and, and, and the coach is like, bro, we got to talk. Like, if you're going to continue to play for my team, this is the way it's got to go. And what I call and what I say is going to be the play, that's the play that's going to be run on the field. Do you hear me loud and clear? And the young man says, Coach, I was trying to honor you. I was changing the play in the huddle because I wanted to make you happy. I was just trying to do a good thing to make you even more glorious as the coach that you already are. And coach said, hey, man, you need to know one thing before you know anything else about playing on my team. Listen, you cannot make me any more happy. You cannot bring me any greater joy by what you do on or off the field but the simple fact that you have been recruited to my team makes everything as good as it could possibly be. And so therefore, I need you to relax, I need you to listen, and I need you to execute the play that I'm telling you. And that that team went on to have one of the greatest winning seasons over the next several years that that school had ever, ever known. And that young man was living out the dichotomy that is real for you and me. Are we doing things for God? Are we doing things from God? Let me ask a different way. Is God your source or is he your spectator? Are you spending the energy and the time that the Lord has entrusted to you in the gift of life that you are living right now? To... Stir up something that you just hope that when it's all said and done gets you above the curve that gets you into the fullness of, of his promises for all of eternity? Are you spending your life and the energy that God's entrusted to you connecting to him, listening to what he says, and moving out of the operational mode of working from God? Is he your source or is he your spectator? What's it going to be for you? Now, parents and grandparents, I need you to listen up and pay extra close attention right here. We didn't press in on this as we were reading the passages because I wanted to let the Lord draw the line of working from God and working for God. But I want you to see the reality as the way it played itself out in 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Kings chapter 5. David, the father, was able to, in his modeling for Solomon, in the formative years of growing up and becoming the man that would one day be the king, Solomon learned from his daddy what the posture of his heart was, and therefore he adopted that as he continued in his rule and reign over the nation of Israel. Again, not that the temple was a bad thing for the people of Israel because the Lord, even in his grace and his mercy and his desire to dwell with his people, he chose to overcome his seat as a spectator and to find himself in the place that he had been welcomed and prepared to enter into the midst of his people. But it was not the good and the perfect plan that God intended for his people. And Solomon had caught that from his dad. Parents, grandparents, the posture of your heart and the way that you connect to God, and whether you work for God or you work from God, is likely to be what transfers to the next generation. The legacy that you leave those who are coming behind you has a whole lot more to do with what you live than what you say. what is it in your life that would change if we stopped today working for god and we started working from god what would change in your life there are some people who are here today in this place who are tired who are exhausted who are frustrated who feel like that there is no way forward that they just keep spending time wandering in this wilderness over and over and over again and the Lord has not blessed the journey that they're on. Could it be? Could it be that your heart and your energy are devoted to doing things for God instead of resting in the reality that is true because of Jesus Christ? that declares to us in our hearts even this morning that that there is nothing that we can ever do that will be acceptable in the sight of God. Except what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. It is impossible, impossible to please God outside of faith. Faith in Jesus faith in the perfect life that he lived on our behalf so that everything, not just the one thing, but everything that he did and that he he offered to God was perfect and pleasing and acceptable for us. He took the for so that we could receive the from and live our lives from God and not spend ourselves tirelessly, aimlessly exhausted at trying to live them for God. Listen, church, you have been made for so much more. God longs to dwell with you. Don't spend your time spinning your wheels, trying to earn enough or be good enough. Receive the greatness of Jesus Christ on your behalf. So that you can experience the life that comes through dwelling with God and doing things from Him. This morning, you may have something on your heart that you're ready to lay down at the altar. Something that you have been holding on to and just giving your all in effort to try and break through in this area in your life. And you acknowledge this morning that that you are the one who's been trying to do it that you've been trying to to make it good enough through your own effort. And this morning you are feeling the tug on your heart to just come and and, and surrender before the Lord. Maybe here as a parent or a grandparent, you know that this message has just hit you in in square between the eyes. And you don't want to waste another day not modeling for those who are coming behind you how to live a life connected to the presence of God, operating out of the overflow of faith as we take one step after another, trusting his heart every time. Maybe you've got something else altogether different that is weighing heavy on you this morning. We're gonna have some ministry team members here at the front in the back of the room. If you need prayer for anything, we believe in the power of prayer because God wants to pour out miracles in and through the lives of his children. So whatever it is that is discouraging you, whatever it is that is holding you back, whatever it is that is weighing you down, we are the people that God has created and called to life and rest in him. May you take steps of faith this morning as you stand and I pray for you. Father, you are good. And there is nothing, God, that can compete with your goodness on our behalf. So this morning, Father, I pray for surrender. I pray for courage. I pray for clarity, God, that you would show someone this morning exactly the goodness and the steps of your plan for this season in their life. Father, I pray this morning that you, would, that you would reveal a vision to someone in this place today that would give them hope and that would give them confidence to move forward because God, all those things come from you. And we don't wanna be those people who go before you, who, who look up and, and look around and, and realize that you're not with us. Father, we want to be in step with you, led by your Spirit, identified as your children, and empowered to be your ambassadors here on the earth. Let that be true, God, for your glory and our good.